I'm asking you to take your Bibles with me or your devices or whatever you're going to use and turn, meet me at the book of, in the book of Psalm, Psalm 133, Psalm 133, it has only three verses. Now, I can read your minds, I can read what you're, I can hear what you're saying in your mind all the way in the back row here, uh, you're thinking, hmm, only three verses, maybe this will be a shorter message, maybe not, <clears throat> we'll see. This psalm has been uh, following me, and I have been following it for a long time. It is one to which I often refer. By the way, I was, they were talking um, on the announcements about we are opening the doors again for, to receive new members in the church. This morning, I was privileged to be part of the receiving of Spanish members in the church. There were 10 fabulous, new, beautiful people who joined the, the uh, Spanish church this morning and uh, decided they, this is going to be their home. So they are part of Bethesda. That is the beauty of our language services. These are not just people who uh, use our facility or rent space from us. No, 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 that's not it. They are part of Bethesda. They just happen to be worshiping in another language. And so I'm glad to be part of a church that welcomes every tribe, tongue, and nation. How about you? So we're looking at Psalm 133. And uh, this past Wednesday night in the living room service with Dr. Marty, she asked that I join her in a Q&A session about the church. The interesting part of that was that both of our spouses had a similar response when Stuart found out that it was both me and Marty going to be speaking in the same service. He said in his inimitable way, well, is somebody going to bring a timer? Is what he said. <laughs> and then it was that afternoon I mentioned to Becky, I said, yeah, tonight Marty and I are both sharing in the Wednesday night, Wednesday night live service. And she said, well, you better have, have somebody order in breakfast for the next morning because it's going to be a long night. I want you to know we dismissed right on time, Becky, right at 8 o'clock. It was wonderful. It was really great. We enjoyed it. But in the session on Wednesday night, the Q&A about the church, I love talking about the church. I'm glad I'm part of the church. How about you? In that session about the church, there we discussed the importance of and the functioning of the church. And it, of course, triggered again this psalm in my mind that I love so much, Psalm 133. And if I'm honest with you this morning and vulnerable with you this morning, I literally spent the following two days, just this past Thursday and Friday, fighting off, trying to not speak about this subject this morning. I was uh, asking the Lord, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, Lord, what should I say? What do you want me to share? Uh, direct my heart. I open myself to you, all the things that you do. And, this, and every thought I had directed me back to this Psalm 133. I kept saying, okay, now when I get to that later on, Lord, we'll, we'll talk about this. What would you have me to say today? And I have more thoughts about Psalm 133. That's great, Lord. Now what are we going to do for Sunday? And I was going on and on. And finally I thought, you know what, Dan, maybe the Lord is asking you to share that for this Sunday. And so I finally gave in with the confidence that the Lord is speaking this morning, not only to me, and I've always told you, when I stand here at this sacred desk, I'm preaching first to Dan, and then I preach to the rest of you. But also, he's not only speaking to me, but also to all of us in this room. The basic theme uh, of this psalm is living real life in a real world, but where two dimensions operate 
uh, simultaneously. There's the horizontal dimension or the, the temporal, the human reality, which we will see, and then there's the vertical transcendent reality. Without denying the pain of the battles in this earthly dimension, and we certainly have them, we're certainly familiar with them, the people of God, even with our pain and our difficulties and our battles, the people of God are to live joyfully, rooted in faith, trust, confidence, and dependency on the person and the promises of our God. There's a good place to say amen right there. Now, I want to, before I dive specifically into Psalm 133, I want to give just a general, um, some general comments about the Psalms in general. Because in the, the book of Psalms, all of the cycles of human trouble and trials and triumphs and testimonies, they, pro- they provide moments of opportunity in the Psalms for expressing our hearts, our fears. Our, our, our tears, our questions, but also there's an expression in the Psalms for us of our faith, our joy, our prayers, our worship, and our hope, and our absolute conviction that our God causes us to be overcomers through all of it. Can I get an amen to that this morning? When you look at the rhythm of the Psalms and the sequences and the chronology and, and, and how the Psalms live and, and breathe and, and move in our life, we find that they are very close to our own human experience and our own walk with the Lord. So if you're taking notes, here's, uh, here's an overview of the Psalms. I would say it this way, that, that we, we have Psalms of orientation. Say that with me. Psalms And they are psalms of peace and confidence. Those are probably my favorite. I like those a lot because I'm often needing peace and confidence. Psalms of orientation. Then there are psalms of disorientation where you go from peace to the pits, okay? From confidence to confusion. And and then there are psalms of reorientation where you find your purpose again in praise and in conquest, and most particularly in change. I'm going to unpack, obviously, all of that. Psalms of orientation, psalms of peace and confidence. There are, thankfully, seasons in our lives where we feel a sense of direction, and we feel a sense of hope, and it's like the, 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 uh, the, the wind is carrying us. Life makes sense. Pastor Des used to teach us all the time how wonderful it is when the wind is filling our sails and we're just breezing across the waters. Unfortunately, there are also those times when we have to get out the oars and row for all they're worth. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But there are these seasons where the Psalms of Orientation talk about peace and confidence. Life makes sense. We, we have our battles, but prayer is our answer, and blessings come, and, and, and in those seasons, somehow God seems so close to us. In the season, you have this sense that there's, there's even an order to things. It makes, makes sense. And, and these are psalms of peace and confidence. They're psalms, what we call psalms of orientation. Now, how many of you have spent enough time in the psalms and had enough life journey to recognize that there are also seasons and psalms of disorientation? It's where we go from peace to the pits. It's where we go from confidence to confusion. And we read these kinds of psalms, and honestly, they become mirrors of our own hearts because the psalmist is writing with a sense of of pain, maybe even a sense of panic or or fear, confusion, 
Sometimes you'll sense the, 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 and read about the betrayal and the anger and certainly the doubt as he's being transparent and vulnerable. In fact, one psalm, the writer of that psalm asks four times the same question. He says, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? Has anybody in this house ever been a season, in a season of how long? Raise your hand. Okay, amen. And excited about it too. I didn't ask if you were excited about it. But in one psalm, he asked the question, how long, O Lord? Well, that's, that's when you cry out, I went from peace and confidence where everything made sense to today where it literally seems like nothing makes sense. In my prior season, I, I, I knew how to get through that. I knew that if I did this or that, that blessing would come. And I, it's, it's like the, the, the triggers were there working for me. But I'm doing all of that same stuff. I'm still reading the Word. I'm in church. I'm tithing. I'm doing all that same stuff today. And it seems like only confusion is coming before me. How long, O oh Lord? How long? Orientation psalms, peace and confidence. Disorientation psalms, the pits and confusion. And then there's the reorientation psalms. These are amazing psalms where we once again, in coming out and coming through, and once again, we find our purpose and our praise, and there is conquest in our reorientation psalm because God has changed us. When you read these psalms, these psalms of reorientation, they're filled with amazement at God's grace. And there's, there's even um, not only an amazement at the grace of God and how He's expressed it or, or evidenced or manifest his, his grace in a dynamic way, but there's almost a sense of shock at how things turned around. It seems so often, I've, I've preached many times from this pulpit, a Psalm of David, where he literally pours out his heart of everything negative that's happened, and this was against me, and this was coming after me, and this was out to kill me, but... And he reaches that point of literally turning around where he's very aware of what God has done. And there's almost a shocking sense in some of the Psalms at how God turns things around and, 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 and a recognition that when I didn't know what was going on behind the scenes, and I want to remind all of you today, you may feel like God is not close today, but I'm telling you, he's working behind the scenes in your life today. He's doing things you have no idea that he's doing. He is mending things and fixing things and orchestrating things and positioning things that are not visible to you. But the day is going to come when it will be revealed and you're going to go, oh, the Lord God has been faithful to me. That's why I sing, great is thy faithfulness. So he's working behind the scenes. All the time he was changing and orchestrating. He was walking before me, behind me, and surrounding me on all sides. But also psalms of reorientation are indications of change that is taking place in us because, hear me, God's purposes are never circular. Psalms of reorientation remind us that through all the stuff we've come through, all that we've walked through, everything we experience, God has brought us through. There has been conquest, but also there has been change in us because God's purposes are never circular. God's purposes are never just to get us back to where we were before. How often do we hear someone say, oh, 
Oh, the condition of my life today, if I could just get back to two years ago. Well, you know, we just first moved here and everything was going well, and, or whatever the story is. If I could just get back to two years. Some people, if I could just get back to 20 years ago, I want to get back to where life was good. No, no, no. God is not trying to get you back to where you were before. You must remember he is the one who has begun a good work in you. He has begun a work in you to transform you from glory to glory, from grace to grace, and from revelation to revelation. And he who has begun the good work in you will be faithful to complete it, bless his name, and to form you into the image of Christ for the glory of his name. So we don't pray, God, bring me back to what I was before. Because when we go through the trial... And we come out of the pits, we find purpose and we find peace again and we find our praise again, but we also find within us that God has produced change within us and transformation within us. Because here's the truth, with God it is always higher and better and fuller and deeper and stronger into the image of Christ that he is forming in us. Amen, Dan, that's good preaching, I don't care what they say. Well, that's my overview of psalms, psalms of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. In Psalm 133, where our text is, we find only three verses, but they are three very incredible verses, outstanding potential and impact. And in these three verses, we see the Lord drawing us to His heart, His passion, His priorities, to His kingdom purposes, to His will for us and in us, not only individually, but also corporately as a body of believers. For it seems that all too often, the call for spiritual and supernatural unity is forgotten. You know, I, you'll hear me say this again in a moment, but I was raised in church. My folks pastored all my life. My father passed away uh, in the year 2000, August of 2000. And uh, church was very different then. The church I was raised in was very different than it is today. And I get sometimes concerned how willing we are to step away from some of the truths that are in the Word of God. And the, the call for spiritual and supernatural unity sometimes can go forgotten or it becomes diminished or just not a concern in the minds and hearts of the church. But we find it in this Psalm 133 this morning. It is a song of ascent, a psalm of David where he says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. He says, It's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of the word. Let me propose four thoughts to you this morning before we dismiss the service that I find in this psalm. And they are these. These are the four thoughts specifically about this, this psalm. It is the reminding of our unity. It is the revealing of our unity. It's the renewing of our unity and the, re, and the reasonable response of our unity. I think he has them there for you if you're taking notes. Now, there are a few of us, not many, a few of us in this room old enough to remember Jackie Gleason. Raise your hand if you remember Jackie Gleason. Oh, hallelujah, I'm not the only one. Thank the Lord. 
Thank the Lord. And if there's one phrase, I remember him, was it, was it his show on Saturday nights? I couldn't watch it on Saturday night. I don't know when I saw it, but if there's one phrase I remember him saying, it was, oh, come on, how sweet it is. Don't you remember him saying that? So turn to your neighbors and say this, this psalm tells us how sweet it is. Go ahead, do it right now. So we first see in this psalm the reminding of our unity. Say that with me, the reminding. When you read a psalm of ascent, a song of David, you must understand it is a song of elevation. It is a song of degrees as you would go up. The, the, uh, the psalms of ascent were given to the church. They, they were sung by the people of God as they were going up to the temple. Songs of Ascent are 15 psalms between Psalm 120 and 134. They were sung as they were going to the temple. Now, most commentators will say that Psalm 133 was written for a very special occasion when the 12 tribes finally put an end to all of their strife, all of their bickering, and all of their dividing against each other. Even when surrounded by their enemies, when the, other, the outside forces were against them, they would still attack one another within for supremacy and, and, and who, would be, uh, who would be in charge and, and who would be where. But finally, under the leadership of David, when they put him in as king, there was a coming together of the people and God had chosen him, and there's a coronation moment that we find in 2 Samuel chapter 5. And in that moment where all the tribes finally come together expressing God's purpose to have a people of unity on the earth, David writes uh, how amazing it is, how good, how powerful, how pleasant when people come together from all walks of life and brethren come together in unity. And then he says it's like oil that comes down from Aaron's beard, it's like Dew in the morning on Mount Hermon. And if you're looking for the blessing, people run around all over the nation looking for blessing. People will run from city to city. Well, it's not working for me here in Fort Worth. I'm going to go someplace else. I'm looking for God's blessing. I'm, I'm going to try uh, California. I'm going to go to the northeast. They run from city to city. People run from church to church looking for the blessing. Well, this isn't working for me. I'm going to go try something over here. And sometimes they run from conference to conference looking for the blessing. And yet David says clearly, here it is. It's right here. Here's the place where God blesses. It's when people come together in unity. Never forget... This is a psalm of ascent. It was to be sung to God and to one another as people would gather to ascend to the house of God, gather to ascend and go up to the temple as a divine reminder of God's purposes, and that is still what we do every Sunday. We come here and come together as a corporate gathering of worship of the people of God. And can I just plant this within you, particularly young people, uh, today because I, I don't hear much about this phrase, but there is something significant about the gathering of the people of God. It is significant. It is not happenstance. It's not just uh, routine. It's not just uh, out of habit. There is significance in the gathering of the people of God. Amen to that. And I'll get to more of that in a minute. And that's what we're doing. We come together as the people of God. And why do we do that? We come together to bless one another. We come to represent God's unity, God's heart, God's forgiveness, 
God's acceptance of all men, God's transcending bloodlines and community lines and social lines, and he's bringing us all together. The very fact that we meet together in the name of Jesus, we are part of the gathering of God, is extremely significant, and we are representing all of those things. It's who we are, it's what we do. And God gives us this psalm in an effort to say this. It's easy to forget it, but I want you to prepare yourself. It's easy to allow uh, the pressures of life and the circumstances of life and the busyness of life to cause you to forget the importance of the gathering of people of God. But I want you to prepare yourself as you are ascending to the house of God. I want you to prepare yourself as you're coming into the house of God, as you're driving on the freeway to get here. Remind your heart of why you are here. You are not coming in only to receive. You're not coming in just to listen to the music. Music and, 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 and get goosebumps over that. You are not here to evaluate, precious. You're not here to judge. You are not here only to get something. You have come this morning to give and to bless and to come together and to become God's heart. Hallelujah. Let me just ask you, how are you preparing yourself to come to church on Sunday? Sometimes people make no preparation whatsoever other than to put on clothes, get in a car, and drive here. Some even do it with a certain flippancy or possibly worse, a certain callousness. How, how, how do you prepare? Let me tell you about the home in which I was raised. I told you I was raised in a pastor's home, and, and um, it, 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 uh, it always seemed to be, at our house, something changed just before sundown on Saturday. I don't remember anybody ever talking about it or, or nobody instructed me. It was just the, the built into the DNA of our family and our home. It's what we did. Um, my father was finalizing his message. He was going to be preaching the next day. My mother was going to be teaching the adult Sunday school class in the auditorium. She's a wonderful teacher. Um, my sister, older than I was, was in smearing creams on her face and using tools on her hair and whatever she was doing to prepare. And I was, since I started directing choirs from my dad's churches when I was 12 years old, I was looking over music and preparing that, making sure everything. There was this sense that we were preparing for the time of ministry. We were preparing our hearts for the Lord's day. So much so that to this day, it is difficult for me to be, I've done it, but it's difficult for me to even be involved in a social setting on a Saturday night. It goes against what I've always understood of the importance of preparing our hearts for the people of God coming, coming together. So our home was always about, was not only the things we were doing, but it was the atmosphere. It was the positioning our hearts. It was humbling our hearts before him and being aware that the people are coming tomorrow and we're going to be involved in ministry. We want ourselves to be, to be ready and, and our hearts to be pure before the Lord. And how many remember this thing? Here's the church and here's the steeple. Open the doors and there's all the people. You didn't do that? That's what I was taught when I was three. The psalmist says to prepare your heart in the psalm of ascent. You're not coming to a theater. You're not coming to a, a ball game. You're not coming to work, but you come with your heart and soul prepared to worship and to hear the word of the Lord. Is that true for anybody in the house this morning? We have a purpose together, to shine who God is together to a broken and divided world. And he starts off by saying, behold, and that word in the Hebrew is hene, 
Hene. Behold. Well, we know what that means. It means to look, notice, stop, uh, see, learn, be aware. Pay attention to what's about to be said. Don't forget. Don't take for granted. Don't take it lightly. And he starts with behold, hene, the blessing of, of coming together as the people of God. And let me take this a step further, and, and this piggybacks a bit on what Pastor Brent said a while ago. I was surprised he said it because, because it plays right into what we're saying here. After traveling, being privileged to travel to more than 40 countries of the world, Please, church, don't ever take for granted the freedom that we have in these United States to come into this house. We did not come in here with any fear or dread of the government coming in and shutting down the service. You know, I, I, I've heard what happens in Vietnam. I heard what, what's taken place with, with our brother Al and, and his brother Dave Reaver who've, who've uh, gone into Vietnam and other places. I've, talking, I've spoken with so many missionaries who, when they have a service, they're not sure they're going to be able to complete it because the government might come in. We have no fear of that today. Let us never take for granted the freedom that we have to worship the Lord Jesus and be in this house without any danger and to sing, to open our hearts, to freely worship him, to praise God and proclaim his name. I think that's worth praising him for this morning. The psalmist said how good and how pleasant it is. He did not say how easy it is for men to dwell together in unity. And that's why every verse in the New Testament on this same topic takes it further by saying it's only by the work of the Spirit of God that it happens. He says, make every effort using everything you have to protect the unity. When you read over the Psalms of Ascent, those 15, over and over again, they are reminding us of our unity. Now, I could give you... Um, Many random reminders. I had, I'm only going to give you one here. Many ra uh, random reminders from these Psalms of Ascent. But let me just point out one from Psalm 120, verse 6, which is a song of ascent reminding us of unity. He says, My soul has dwelt too long with one who hates peace. In other words, he's saying, Enough. I am for peace. But when I speak peace, of peace and unity, they are for war. They're for division and conflict. I try to speak of peace, they speak for war. When I speak of coming together, they're for breaking apart. When I speak of building up, they're for tearing down. Bethesda, there is still a place in the church of the living God for that godly man, that godly woman who knows that to please God's heart, sometimes we have to say, enough. Enough of the bickering. Enough of the bringing back what someone else received as an offense. Enough of bringing it into the conversation every time we talk. You've told the story over and over and over. Get over it, sweetheart, and move on for the glory of the name of Jesus. Enough of coming into or out of the church by tearing it down. Enough of deciding, talking only about what's wrong with it instead of lifting up what's right with it. There's a reminder here that we have a purpose in the gathering of the people of God. We have a purpose. We have a role to play. We have a calling. We have a mission to be one who protects at the unity and brings peace and healing in everything we do and say. Reminder is here. 
that we must give ourselves to the value of unity in the church, the body of Christ. Now, there's a difference between unity and uniformity. Uniformity, sorry. Unity does not mean that everyone has to be exactly the same. Did you know that? Some people's form of unity is that we all have to be exactly like them. We'll be in unity when you are like me, when you think like me, when you have the opinion that I have about this, when you act like me, when you do what I, when I do. That's when we'll be in unity. I learned a powerful lesson through my, something that happened to me in my music career. I was on the original five-man creative team for a line of product for uh, Integrity Music. How many of you ever got those Hosanna tapes, praise and worship tapes back in the day? They came usually every six weeks on a continuity program. And I was called to be a part of this group. I was in way over my head, way out class, but they asked me to come. And uh, so we all flew to Mobile, Alabama, and we met at their headquarters there um, on the morning, decided to be there. And the very first thing we were told was, and I was trying to figure out, you know, why am, why am I here? I mean, Don Moen was there, and Michael Coleman was there, and, and all these, you know, people, why am I there? And they said, the reason any of you are here, you are only here because it has been deemed that you will probably have an opinion that is different than everyone else. And I'm not comfortable with your laughter at this moment. They also said, it has been deemed that you will be able to speak your opinion. Yes, hallelujah, we will. And that's where I learned with other, some very, very powerful men, incredibly, incredible creative talents. As they were crafting praise and worship music that was literally going around the world, that's where I learned the powerful lessons of how to disagree without being disagreeable. It's where I learned the powerful lesson that there can be more than one right way. Some of you need to just let that sink in. Just soak in that for a while. There can be more than one right way. Because I was sure my way was right. Once we laid it all out, oh, well, here's how that needs to happen. Bam! And then somebody else said, well, you know, Dan, that's good, but... And then they went on with something else, and I had to realize, well, you know what? That's also good. And to learn to make room for others who have a difference of opinion and who see the world differently than you do. It's a powerful lesson. Unity is not uniformity. And also, one more thing, unity is not necessarily being unanimous either. Sometimes in the church, we can have the mindset that if we are going to do anything within the church, everyone has to be 100% in agreement on everything or we don't do it. In the reduced kingdom of unanimous, the, dissent, the, the dissident is king. What do I mean by that? In the reduced kingdom of unanimous, the dissident is king. If every single person has to completely agree on every single thing before we move, then the one who is against everybody, the one person who is against everything is the one who runs everybody. Dan, that's really good. Why don't you go sit there and amen yourself? You need to. 
Here's what we need to understand about unity. We don't have to have the same opinion about everything. We don't have to have the same background. No, no, no. In fact, I, as I shared with the Spanish folks this morning, the beauty of the body of Christ is that we come from different cultures, different nationalities, different worldview, different understanding of how things are to be done. You were raised in a different home than I was raised in. Some of you were raised in an absolutely godless home. Some of you were raised in a Christian home. And we come about things differently. But the beauty is that in the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit who lives in me is the same Holy Spirit that lives in you if you have declared the name of Christ and when we come together we exalt Jesus in all that we do that's the beauty of the spirit of unity God brings us together with all of our differences but we are united together by the spirit of Christ the love of Christ our calling in Christ and our mission for his work and his kingdom my mom, who is uh, in December, she'll be 91 years old. Wonderful pastor's wife. It was a few months ago. I called her one day, and uh, how's it going, mom? Great, good. I'm, I'm doing good. You know, for my age, I'm happy to wake up. You know. Um, how's it going, your church? Well, good. I, there's been a little bit of a scuttle. Oh, really? What's going on? Well, the pastor's decided he wants to take the pews out of the church and replace them with something else, either theater seating or some other kind of seating. I don't remember what she said the kind of seating was. She goes, boy, you should, should hear the fuss going on over the fact of what the pastor wants to do. He wants to take those pews out. I said, so how do you feel about that, Mom? Well, I, frankly, Dan, I find it amusing and rather comical, and it's greatly entertaining to me. And I said, well, why is that? Well, she said, you got to understand, I've been in the church a long time. When I started, we were meeting on a sawdust floor with little rickety wooden slats in our folding chairs that pinched, and we had all that, or we were maybe in a storefront building, or we were maybe having a meeting in a tent revival somewhere, and she said, you know, pews were far from us, and she said, because I was in the Pentecostal church, and we were always on the other side of the tracks and had nothing, and she said, so that was, but then what we did have was we had the fire of God falling in our meetings and signs and wonders taking place and healings and miracles happening in the middle of the sawdust floor. And we got all that. But she said, then the day came when we got just enough money to move to the other side of the tracks and we started building a, a building. And most people thought that was a good idea. And then they decided in this nice new building, we were going to put pews in the new building. And you should have heard the fuss then over, new, over pews being put in the, the church. She said, you know, now next thing you know, we're going to have stained glass and you're going to have a choir with robes on it and we're going to be just like all those dead churches that have gone the way of liturgicalism and all that other kind of stuff and we are not going to be like that and people fought putting pews in the church. So here I am at 90 years old. I've lived long enough to see them fight for putting pews in the church and now they're fighting to take pews out of the church. She said, I think it's hilarious. I said, well, good, good for you, Mom. Because <clears throat> the church can find any and everything because we're so sure our opinion is right. 
when the truth is, what is our purpose, our mission? Is to gather together and let the gathering of God be of people who want to worship and exalt and lift up the name of Jesus. Oh my goodness. Point number two. We not only have the reminding of our unity, I'll, I'll watch the clock and maybe finish this some other time. There's the revealing of our unity. The psalmist tells us how amazing it is when we dwell together in unity, and he gives us these two pictures. You know what they are. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. Now, I, I understand that some of us, maybe particularly younger people, you read this, you go, ooh, yuck. That's not so cool. You got this oil running everywhere, and to you know, but to the children of Israel, it was a powerful picture, an incredible picture, because when they saw it, please understand this and give it its proper value. It brought them back to the consecration of Aaron, who was called to serve alongside Moses. He was called to come into unity with Moses, to be his true brother, his helper, and to be chosen, set apart for the kingdom. The other thing you have to understand is the oil was costly. It was made of, of the most expensive of ingredients. No, no shortcuts were made at all in the production of this oil. And this oil, it represented the anointing. It represented the approval of God. It represented the blessing of God and the favor of God. It, it represented God saying, this one I have set apart. I've set this one apart for purpose. And, and, and so this is the revealing of who I am blessing. It's how they were revealed. This is the revealing of who I am using. Now, most commentaries are rather shocking in this regard. If you look at, and I looked at several, we tend to think of putting on the oil like we do here. We have these nice little uh, vials of oil, and, and we get a little dabble, do you? And we put the, that's not the way it happened. When the, when the commentaries point us to the measures used in Leviticus, the indication is that it was something like 750 ounces of oil that was poured upon Aaron. He was dripping in it, folks, dripping. Everyone could smell it. It marked him. Leviticus chapter 8. Also Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. He sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times, anointed the altar and all of its utensils and the labor in its base to consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. What does it say to us this morning at Bethesda? It says everything that is done, every instrument that plays, every song, every choir member is to be operating in the spirit of unity when the gathering of the people of God is going on. Everyone has to be serving with the oil of consecration. That's what sets my people apart is what we learn from this psalm. They are part of something. They honor the body of Christ. They love the body of Christ. They're careful how they speak. They're careful how they act. They're careful how they behave themselves. They are looking to bless, not to tear down, but to bless. And this is what is revealed to us in this psalm. It reveals who his servant is. You want to know if someone's walking in the blessing of God? You want to know? Is he, uh, is he or she, are they a peacemaker? Do they speak well of others? Is he or she kind in their verbiage of others, not only in the house, but out of this house as well? 
If you want to know if a man is approved of God or if a singer is approved of God, if the choir is approved of God, if the musicians are approved of God beyond their talent and their ability on the stage and their ability to give us goosebumps, which we all love, if you want to know if they are really approved of God, when they step off the stage, how do they love? How kind are they? How do they speak? How do they act? How supportive are they of the church? Good preaching, Dan. It really is. God says to us through this psalm, that's how you set them apart. That's how you do it. That's the revealing of the consecration. To every mom and dad in this house, to every grandparent in this house, I'm about to be one. Have I mentioned that today? (laughs) Three weeks, three weeks. To every mom and dad in this house and grandparent, what oil are you communicating? What oil are you imparting to your family? It does speak to every parent, every grandparent, every mature believer, every leader in the church, every person of authority. We can smell you. No, serious. We can smell you. When Aaron would walk, the fragrance he carried with him was a reminder of his purpose, and it was a revealing of his consecration. Even his beautiful garment was drenched with oil. The human eye might look upon that and say, oh, man, just ruined that garment. It's such a gorgeous garment. It's just dripping in oil. And the message to us is this. No matter what your garment is on the outside, it better be soaked with unity and soaked with love for Christ and soaked with love for his body and the church and even its leaders. This is how you know if you have been set apart. This is how you know if consecration has come into your life. And here's what's important to know about the oil of unity. It reveals who we are. It reproduces in others. Dad, to your son, to your grandson. Mom, to your daughter and your granddaughter. And it must be renewed. I'm going to ask you to stand. I have two more points, but take me another hour to finish it. I want you to stand with me as the musicians come. And we're going to pray. Please just stay with us one more minute as we pray. How many of you would say, by upraise hand, Pastor Dan, I want to be a part of the unity of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Thus, I pray for us today that we will be a church who lives out this message. How good and how pleasant it is for us to dwell together in unity. And that we will remember that this message sticks with us. It's like the oil of anointing that flows down Aaron's beard and onto his robe. It's like the dew of Mount Hermon. When I get a chance to finish this, I'm going to talk about the, the, that, that oil in more detail. I'm going to talk about the dew from Mount Hermon, which, which re- is renewed day by day, and it gives life to everything it touches. It's what unity is like. It's the place where God will bless us. It's a place for, where, where life flows, not only forever, but forever and evermore. Life forevermore. Would you just lift your hands with me as I pray over us today?
because we all have to determine how we will respond to this message, starting with me. How will we respond to this? Lord, I'm asking you to remind me every time I come to your house, let me sing the songs of ascent. Let me be completely aware I'm coming to the house of the Lord. I'm coming to the gathering of the people of God. I'm coming to bless. I'm coming to encourage. I'm coming to edify. I'm coming to lift up. I'm not coming just to see what I'm going to get out of it. I'm not coming to judge and evaluate what I thought of the music or the preacher or any of that stuff. I'm coming to give. I ask you to refocus my heart when everything else I hear is tearing someone down just because someone else wants to be elevated. Lord, give refocus to my heart. Oh my God, I pray this message will stay with us. Help us to prepare our hearts. Come, let me be reminded how good and how pleasant it is when men dwell together in unity. Lord, we know that this only happens with supernatural strength. Supernatural strength to release offenses, to let things go that need to go because the spirit of unity is more important. It is our goal. We're asking that the oil of unity will flow upon us once again. Oh, my God, let the oil of unity flow upon us once again, that we'll be renewed with fresh dew from the mountain of your grace. Lord, let us not respond to hatred with hatred. Let us not respond to injustice with injustice. Let us not respond with a sense of revenge, but with a sense of release and with a sense of redemption. Lord, we've been reminded today through the psalm that that is the place where you command your blessing to fall. That's the place. So we pray, O oh God, that your blessing will fall upon our families, that your blessing will fall upon our church. Lord, give us the ability to be lavish forgivers, daily lavish forgivers. Let it go. Let it be released and let it go. In our families, O oh God, from husband to wife, wife to husband, because we choose to operate in the spirit of unity, because we know that's where your blessing will fall, and because we all want blessing to rest upon our family, we know what our part is. And Lord, what we pray for the families, we pray for the church. Give us supernatural strength, Lord, to walk in unity, because we say, Lord, command your blessing to fall. And we ask these things in the magnificent name of Jesus, our King. And the church said, Amen.